Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church, if you got your copy of God's Word, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49, beginning in verse 8. Genesis 49, verse 8. And if you'll just hold your place there, uh, I promise we will get there eventually. We have been adoring God's Son from the book of Genesis over the last several weeks. And this morning, I want to show that Genesis reveals that for God's promises to be fulfilled to and through Abraham, that God's promised son must not just be a son and a human son, he must be also a victorious king. He is Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name, it is his designation, his title. He is the anointed king that is promised in the Old Testament. Back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God promises that through Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the question that we need to consider to understand Genesis and really the rest of the Bible is what does it mean to be blessed? What, what is blessing? Blessing refers to a restoration and even an enhancement of the sort of communion with God in Eden-like conditions that existed before Adam and Eve fell in sinful rebellion. That is true blessing. Communion with God in this this ideal set of conditions that we see described before sin enters the world, before the tempter tries to take us out. Later in Genesis 17, Abraham's name, Abram's name, is changed to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. Because he will be the father of a multitude of nations. Genesis 17.4 So in Genesis 12, we read that Abram will have a great name. And he will be a great nation, singular, one nation. But somehow, the Lord's blessing to come through Abraham and his eventual son will reach not just one nation, but a multitude of nations. And the word nations there is Gentiles. Right? So it will reach not just Hebrews, but Gentiles as well. Abraham will be the father of Hebrews and of Gentiles. And the question for us is, is how in the world is this possible? How does Abraham have one son or seed of promise and become a father, not of a single nation, but of a multitude of nations? And here is the answer that Genesis provides. The promised son to come through Abraham will also be an unstoppable king. In verse 6 and 16 of Genesis 17, we learn that kings of peoples will come from Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, who has no son, will be the father of royalty. But after the promise of a plurality of kings, the Lord's promises again focus on a single son, who is also a single 
king. In Genesis twenty-two seventeen, the Lord says this to Abraham, Your seed, your son, shall possess the gate of his enemies. Not, not of Israel's enemies in plural, but of his enemies. A son will come who controls the coming and going of his enemies. And by implication, he will provide all that is necessary for his subjects. Whoever is subject to the king willingly, desiringly, will dwell safely. This will be a king with unrivaled power and authority. Later in Genesis 26, after God's promises now rest upon Isaac, right? Abraham gives birth to Isaac and the promises are are passed to Isaac. There's a famine in Canaan, but the Lord tells Isaac, don't flee to Egypt for food. He says, I'll be with you and bless you, for to you and your seed, the seed to come, I will give all these lands. Which is interesting, because before, we see Abraham has promised a particular land, but now it's not just one land, it's all the lands around the land. So this, there's this sense that Abraham's land won't be this little postage stamp in the Middle East, but it's going to spread to the ends of of the earth, it will encompass all the lands. And indeed, through this one seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The Lord's blessing to come through Isaac's eventual son will include not just people from all the nations and not just the one land of Canaan, but all these lands. A single son from Abraham's line will possess all lands and bless all who dwell there, Hebrew and Gentile alike. Genesis teaches us to expect that. And this is possible. A land encompassing all the lands, a great name and a nation with many nations and families blessed to the ends of the earth. How is it possible? It's possible through one son, God's promised son, who will also be an omnipotent and everlasting king, conquering all of his rivals, a king from one people who rules and leads all peoples. In Genesis 27, 29, the promise of a son who would be king of all nations, now progresses to Jacob. It's been with Abraham, and now it's moved to Isaac, and now it's moved to Jacob. And Isaac says to Jacob, Let the people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Once more, we see that curse and blessing, death and life hinge on this son to come through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But then Jacob has 12 sons. So which son is, is it? Who is it going to be? And now they're in, they are, the family is in Egypt because there has been a famine so severe that God sends them to Egypt and Joseph provides for his brothers. And there before Jacob dies in Egypt in chapter 49, he pronounces the sort of the future of the tribes that have proceeded from him, of these 12 sons. And so what we discover is this promise that will pass to his son Judah. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord from Genesis 49 verses 8 through 10. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? 
the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Would you pray with me? God, we ask in the time that we have together today that we would understand more fully the truth that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And God, that if anyone's in this room who is not bowing the knee to the King, God, that you would today move in such a way that on Christmas of all days, how appropriate, that today would be the day that they surrender their lives to the King. And God, for those of us who have been adopted into the family of God by the blood of Christ, who came as a slain lamb, God, let us look to, with eager anticipation to the day that our King returns, serving Him, loving Him, until He does. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. God's promised Son. The first thing I want you to see from this text is this. God's promised Son will be a victorious warrior and a king forever from the tribe of Judah. He will be a victorious warrior and a king forever from the tribe of Judah. Earlier in Genesis 49, Jacob has eliminated, interestingly enough, the older brothers as potential heirs of the Lord's blessing. It won't be the older brothers, it will be Judah. And in verse 8, he foretells a future for the tribe of Judah that pictures this son to come from Judah as the preeminent son, the son over all other sons. In the first line of verse 8, this son is pictured as returning from battle to be greeted with praise from his brothers. God's promised son will be victorious for his brothers and over their enemies. The victory will be so great, so total, so comprehensive, so joy-inducing that his brothers will gladly bow down before him. This is interesting, right? Joseph had a dream that his brothers would bow before him, and they didn't like the dream. They, they bucked against the dream. They, they sold their brother into slavery. But there will be a brother to come from the line of Judah to whom all of his other brothers will gladly bow down. He will secure for them a, a victory and blessing that is so great and so grand that, that whatever separated them or divided them will be inconsequential in light of what this son who comes from Judah will do. Abraham's nation will be united under this king in praise. Brothers will be undistracted by their own selfish squabbles because they're going to be so awestruck by their coming brother's victory. Brothers and sisters, this is how it ought to be among the people of God. Yes, we have differences. We have political differences. We have differences on all sorts of things, but we are united by the blood of Jesus, and his victory is so great, so total, so comprehensive, we ought to bow the knee to him in unity. And then in verse 9, we find the image of a young lion that is pictured, as Salhammer writes, as sleeping in its den after having taken its prey. He went out to battle, he conquered, he kicked backside, and then he rested. The promised son will be like a ferocious lion undeterred in taking out his enemies. He will devour his prey and then he will rest in his victory. The Lord 
rested after the first creation, and he will rest again after renewing his creation by devouring everything in it that poisons it. And the question at the end of verse 9 says it all about this lion. Who dares rouse him? Who's going to mess with this king? Who's going to mess with this son? And the implied answer is what? Nobody. Ain't nobody going to do it. No one's going to mess with this king. Nobody's going to mess with this son. Church, that's the hope. We, we serve a king that no one can stand against. So praise God we can stand with him. God's promised son will be like a lion emerging from the tribe of Judah, vanquishing all the enemies of God's people forever. When this lion king takes his stand upon the earth, there's going to be nothing left in heaven or on earth to oppose him or his people anymore. And the implicit call, even in Genesis, even to a people wandering in the wilderness and awaiting their entrance into the promised land is not to look to the milk and to the honey, not to look to the blessing of just getting to the land. No, the true blessing they are to look for is to come through a son and a victorious king over all the earth and all the nations. In verse 10, we learn the scepter and the staff. These are signs of royal authority. They will not depart from Judah until tribute or Shiloh comes to him. Who's him? Him is the son that we are seeking. He is the final and forever king. He is the lion and the the king who conquers forever. In other words, there's going to be a line of kings descending from Judah. Do we find that in the Old Testament? Do we see a line of kings descending from Judah in the Old Testament, starting with David? Yes, that's predicted right here in Genesis 49. And then that king will culminate, that line of kings will culminate with one lion-like king. And here's the promises of Genesis 49. When you get to that lion-like king, blessing arrives. When the king comes, blessing comes. You're waiting on the blessing. You're waiting on the fulfillment of Genesis 12 and 17 and 22 and 26. And when that seed, who is the Lion King, comes, God's blessing appears. That's the promise of the gospel in Genesis. The Lion King of Judah will go to war against his enemies and the enemies of his people. And he will bring in blessing of being rightly related to the Lord for all who belong to him. We know this because God's promised son is, in verse 10, what? The one to whom Shiloh, or tribute, belongs. The word translated tribute in the ESV, or Shiloh in other versions, Shiloh is just an untranslated version, uh, or untranslated um, Hebrew word. Silhammer explains what it means in this way. It is simply an untranslated form of the Hebrew expression, meaning the one to whom it belongs. It is a term that designates who God's Messiah or anointed king is. He's the one to whom it belongs. You ever thought about that? Jesus, he, he's worthy of it all. He deserves it all. He'll be like a lion conquering all his enemies and the enemies of God's people because it belongs to him. Well, what what is it? Everything. What doesn't belong to him? 
He made it all. He deserves it all. He's worthy of it all. All nations, all lands, all glory. And what do myriads and thousands upon thousands of angels sing in Revelation 5.12? He alone is worthy to receive what? Power and wealth and glory and blessing. We get those things and they corrupt us. They, in Jesus' hands, they're used perfectly. And he most certainly will have all these, these things. This, this hope of a nation's conquering king from Judah permeates the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 24, verse 9, Balaam cannot curse Israel because there is one coming from Israel who lays down like a lion after conquering his enemies. He's reflecting on Genesis chapter 49 when he says this. And the one that no one dares to rouse will, will come from the Israelite people. And he tells us in Numbers 24, 8, listen to this, that he will eat up the nation. Later in 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Samuel's Chronicle, excuse me, 1 Chronicles 17, we read about God's covenant with David, who is a son of Judah. He's the first king from the line of Judah. But we read, though David wants to build a house for the Lord, that he can't. But one day a son will come from David who will build a house for the Lord, and he will be king forever. And he is building that house for the Lord right now as the Spirit of God and the hearing of the gospel changes hearts, places us in Christ who is the true temple, who tore it down in three days and raised it up on the third day in his body. And the temple of God is spreading to the ends of the earth even now through our crucified, risen, and ascended King. And this is, what, this is according to the promise that we find in the Old Testament. What does God say about this son? I will be to him a father, 1 Chronicles 17, 13. And he will be to me a son. And I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. The Lord is not talking about Solomon. He is speaking of Jesus. Who is already working and already present. He's speaking of God the Son who would come from the heavenly realms of glory to be born of Mary. And to do for God's people what they could not do for themselves. To secure a forever and final victory over all of our enemies. And bring us into communion with God in a global Eden forevermore. God the Son would become a man, but not just any man. He would be the ferocious Lion King of Judah. So that sinful men and women can become sons and daughters of God, enjoying His blessing forever. But the question before us, the tension that we ought to feel in this text is this. How is it that the king from Judah will both eat up the nations and bless the nations? You feel that tension? How is he going to conquer the nations but then somehow people from all nations will be there to enjoy global Eden with this king forever. There's, there feels that there's a tension there. And I, I believe the answer is at the end, the last line, the last line of Genesis 49.10. This king will have the obedience of the peoples. God, God's promised son, the hope of the gospel here in Genesis 49 is... It's not just that he will conquer us, but he will conquer us unto the end of obedience. God's promised son will secure the obedience of people from all nations. The blessing of the nations and the obedience of people are related. 
to be blessed by God is to be given the desire to obey God's Son and King. The goal of Abraham's blessing, why does God bless us? So that we would obey Jesus, so that we would adore Him and have joy in our obedience. The blessing that God longs for is the obedience of the peoples, not the people, the peoples, plural, people from all nations, every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. As Salehammer writes, Genesis shows us that God's covenant with Abraham is the chosen means by which the Lord's original blessing found in Eden will again be channeled to all humankind. The truth that people will be drawn into God's kingdom from among all nations to obey God's son and king from Judah echoes throughout the Old Testament, does it not? Psalm chapter 2 verse 8, the Lord said to his, says to his son, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. Psalm 22, 27, and 28, David says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Jesus will be recognized as King of kings and Lord of lords. Daniel 7, 14, we read this, To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. In Isaiah 49, 6, we read this about the Son who is coming. It is too light of a thing, too small of a thing. It would be too little, too narrow for you to just rescue Hebrew people. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And as we open the New Testament to Matthew chapter 1, what do we find? We find exactly what we would expect to find if we've been reading the Old Testament as a quest for God's promised son and king. What do we find? We find a genealogy. How does it open? Verse 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. It's almost like Matthew was reading Genesis as a book about Jesus. Matthew traces Jesus' lineage to Abraham and to David to say this, the greater David, the, the greater king from Judah's line, the lion king has come, or as the Jesus storybook Bible puts it, the little kid's Bible that I love reading to our kids as they were growing up, everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he promised in the beginning, and I would add in the book of beginnings. It's like Matthew is shouting for joy in a birth announcement. Hey, remember all those promises that hinge on the arrival of one son and one king from Abraham and Jacob and Judah? Guess what? He's here. And the way that Jesus both conquers the nations and rescues people from all the nations is by coming to conquer sin and its penalty death as obstacles to life and fellowship with God. In Matthew 1.21, the angel says to Joseph, Mary will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus saves us from our sins, How? 
How is it that Jesus can save us from our sins? He does it by taking our place, by being our substitute, by being born to die on the cross, by being born to be judged in our place. I want to share with you something that I read this week from John Stott about this idea of Jesus as our substitute. He says, the idea that Jesus is our substitute may be said then, substitution lies at the center of both sin and salvation. Listen closely to this. For the essence of sin, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone. God, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, accepts penalties which belong to man alone. Praise God that this king came to conquer sin and death by taking it upon himself. Stony hearts that are cold toward God hear the incredible news that the Lion King has come to be a lamb. A lamb who takes away the sins of the world by taking them on himself. And the Spirit works in the hearing of the gospel to conquer us. Did you know that to be saved, you must first be conquered? Did you know to be rescued by Jesus, you've got to be conquered by Jesus? Salvation is not walking an aisle, praying a prayer, tipping uh, Jesus at the offering box. Salvation is a change in your who you are at the root of your life, worked by the Holy Spirit, applying what Jesus has done to your heart individually. In Christ, the old has passed away, 1 Corinthians 17. In other words, it's been conquered, it's been crucified, and the new has come. In repentance, we say, oh, what do we do? I repent and believe and I'm good. Repentance is not just to say, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. To repent is to be conquered. Those old thoughts and attitudes and patterns and priorities and my selfishness and my self-centeredness and my self-worship, it is to be conquered in Christ. We so often hear about the the problem of the world is that kids have no self-esteem or they have low self-esteem. Brothers and sisters, you can can esteem the old man all you want. You can blow smoke up somebody's tailpipe all you want and tell them how great they are and they can walk through the world thinking they've got great esteem. I'm here to tell you, no matter how good your self-esteem, esteeming yourself will never satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. You are created to esteem something far greater than yourself. The King of kings and Lord of lords is the one you were made to esteem. Jesus has come to destroy the old man and then by the power of his resurrection to raise you up to a whole new way of life. Oh, the joy of being conquered by King Jesus. Oh, the freedom and the power and the peace and the assurance that comes from being conquered by this king. So when Jesus came, you say, well, I don't see Jesus conquering the nations. He's conquering the nations right now. Every time somebody hears the gospel and bows the knee and says, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, Jesus is winning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14, Paul tells us, Christ always 
Can y'all say always? always? Always. Christ always leads those who belong to him by faith in triumphal procession. Do you know what a triumphal procession is? It's the procession of a king. It's the procession of royalty. You have joined, if you are in Christ Jesus, a royal triumphal procession. And what do you do until the king returns and demonstrates how victorious he is? You spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere in how you live and what you share as you walk with Christ and obey Christ and bow the knee to Christ. You are demonstrating the aroma of Christ. Your king is ruling and reigning through you, through his church. And what does Paul say next? He says, look, some like how the gospel smells. And some don't. But either way, Jesus is winning. Some are going to bow the knee. They're going to hear the gospel and the spirit of God is going to do an amazing work in their heart. But some are going to harden their hearts like Pharaoh and they're going to refuse to be conquered now. But they will be conquered later. Either way, Jesus conquers. It's eternally better to be conquered now than later. Sadly, many people think this is all a fairy tale. Just a bunch of made-up stories. I would submit to you, read the Old Testament and tell me. Tell me how a man is born in Bethlehem just as prophesied. How disciples are gathered and give their lives for the truth that they saw a man that they walked with for three years, crucified on a cross, and three days later rose again. And they gave their lives for the truth that they had met the Son and King. If it was all a lie, why not just cash it in and go live your best life now? How is it that the church, unlike any other religion in the world, spreads instantaneously within two centuries? It's, it's spreading to every tribe and tongue and language and nation. All these other language, all these other religions have been around for centuries. What do they do? They say huddled up in their own little ethnicity, in their own, own little language. Not Christianity. Why? All they had to do was produce a dead body. They couldn't do it because he's ascended at the right hand of the Father. He's ruling and reigning in righteousness. And there's people that think this is a joke. It's not a joke. We're about to burn the house down. Here's what I want to say to you, you believers. Look, people who are lost oftentimes hide behind what they think are intellectual cop-outs for not believing in Jesus and, and it's, it's false intellectualism, right? They haven't actually done the hard work. You do the hard work, you're going to conclude there is a God and His name is Jesus. Or at least you should conclude that. But even as Christians, we grow faint-hearted as we await our King's return. We grow faint-hearted in a world where loving and serving Jesus comes with challenges. We grow faint-hearted when we fail on our, ourselves. And the Spirit of God knows this, right? He knows that we get weary. He knows that we get tired. He knows that we get weak. So in, in Revelation, a book that reassures us of the triumph of Jesus and His people, what do we read in, in Revelation 5? We read about this king we read about this scroll, this scroll of God's final judgments. And, 
And at first, John is looking around and he can't find anyone who is worthy to open the scroll. For a moment, it looks like everything has been pointless. Why did I live the Christian life? Why did I follow Jesus? Why do I obey Jesus? If, if the king's not going to come and he's not going to usher in a global Eden for all those who have served with him and loved him, what in the world have I been doing? Are we right to spend our lives serving this king? And then we come to verse 5 of Revelation 5 and we read this. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And as we keep reading, what do we find? We discover that as John looks toward the throne, does he see a lion? No, he sees a lamb standing that had been slain. And that lamb takes the scroll to open it, and the elders sing a new song in verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Church, the one who is worthy of it all gave his all to ransom, to buy back from slavery to sin, people from all over the planet. Why? So that we might obey him. Abraham's great nation, comprised of all the lands and in people from all nations, is made possible by Jesus Christ, the one Son, the Lion of Judah, who laid down his life as a lamb to rescue sinners from all over the planet, delivering them out of everlasting death due to their disobedience and into life everlasting to secure their obedience. Are you obeying the King? Have you been conquered by the king? The question of Christmas is not whether you will be conquered by Jesus. It is whether you will be conquered in time. In a children's Advent book that Stacy and I go through with our kids each Christmas, it goes through the names for Jesus. One of those names has an ornament we put on the tree. It's the Lion of Judah. And this is what it says about the Lion of Judah in simple terms that even kids could understand. Perhaps you've heard the Lion referred to as the King of the Jungle. The Lion is strong, fast, and brave. Other animals fear him. His mighty roar announces He's a beast to be respected, that no one is safe in his presence. But what if you were on the side of this savage beast? Could there be safety beneath those powerful paws? Yes. If that lion is Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is dangerous to his enemies, but a great protector to his friends. With great power and authority, Jesus acts on behalf of his children. Friends, you too can know this comfort and this joy if you are conquered by Jesus, the Lion King. And in closing, I want to share with you how. How can you belong to the Lion King before it's too late? Believe in Jesus, God's promised Son and King who came at Christmas.
when the Lord promised Abraham that he would be a great nation, he had no sons, but he believed the Lord would send a son to accomplish all the Lord promised. And through faith in the Lord's promised son, what did Abraham do in Genesis 15? He looked out at the stars and God promised he would give a son. And he said, God, even though I have no son, I believe you. And he was saved by faith. Paul picks up this story in Romans 4 to tell us that Abraham is the father of a great nation and of many nations. How? Not because he had biological offspring, but because he's a model of saving faith, both to Jew and to Gentile. And as we read in John 1, to all who did receive Jesus and who believe in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God. We are born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You can be reborn into the kingdom of God, the family of God, through the blood of Jesus. That's the promise of the gospel. God will adopt you into his family. He'll make your heart new, not because of your bloodlines, but simply through faith in Jesus, who was slain as God's lamb to rid God's world of sin and sin stain once for all. Church, when the Lion of Judah returns... There's not going to be any more denying or debating who Jesus is. In a moment, all peoples from all times will know that this nice teacher, prophet, religious leader, etc., this one who was slaughtered like a helpless lamb led to the slaughter is in fact the Lion of Judah who reigns forevermore. On his thigh, Revelation 19.6 tells us, we will read King of Kings and Lord of Lords. One day, many who mocked and lampooned the idea that a man sacrificed like a lamb led to the slaughter was necessary to bring salvation to fallen sinners, they will be horrified by the roar that they hear coming from that slain lamb's mouth. But those who look to this lamb in this lifetime and find hope and healing those who know that it should have been them on that cross, they will rejoice to hear their victorious lion roar forth in victory. Church, be conquered now rather than later. So if you're a child of God through faith in Jesus this morning, if you've been graciously conquered by the lamb who was slain, remember that you've been conquered to obey our soon coming king. Remember the present world system does not win. Remember, all who've been graciously conquered by the Lamb are now fiercely protected and preserved by Jesus. Don't surrender to your troubles, but look like your father Abraham to the Son who's coming again. And if you're still dead in your trespasses and sins, if you're still disobedient and delighting in it, let today be the day that Jesus conquers you because on the day of his return his roar will be heard by all and it will be too late would you pray with me God in heaven we give you praise for your word for your son for your reigning and returning king And God, I pray if anyone's here today that is not ready for his return, that they would be ready when they leave today. And God, for others who who know you, but Lord, we've, we've had a hard 2022. God, we've 
we've given in to our flesh rather than crucifying it. God, we've been wayward in our followership of you. God, remind us that the reason that Jesus conquered us is that we would obey. And that we would not just obey because we're supposed to, but that we would delight in it. God, make 2023 for your church a year of delighting to follow and obey our crucified and risen King. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.